Hey, deserving listeners. I get a lot of questions about the difference between coaching and counseling. In particular, patron Lyndon and patron Dr. Glenn have recently asked me about what is what are my thoughts about coaching. So I decided to do a mini deep dive on the topic to see what I could find. Also, I asked Mike Bundrant to come on to the show again because he's a coach and a counselor. Welcome to the podcast, Mike. Yeah, thanks for having me back, Kirk. I really appreciate it. Today, we're going to talk about the differences between coaching and counseling. What, what are the differences? What are people saying about each profession? What are the requirements of coaching? What are the ethical imp- implications? What are... Um, what about counselors who choose to be a coach, such as Mike? What's the risk of counselors who want to also become a coach? And I'm going to present a bunch of stuff I found from coaching organizations and and counseling organizations because uh, the American Counseling Association has has discussed coaching and counseling and the difference. And, and long story short... I would say that about 1% of the, of the available information is accurate, uh, meaning that 99% of the information I came across is inaccurate. So I thought we would wade through some of that. What do you say, Mike? Sound good? That'd be great. Making me nervous, though, in terms of what I know. Is it following the 1% or the 99%? <laughs> well, well, we'll sift through that together. Also, I'm going to ask uh, some tough questions, Mike, because I know that you like that sort of thing. Cause you, you, Love it. You, you're, you're a brave man in that way. Yeah, let's, uh, you know, you might as well open your eyes wide and stare at the issue, yeah, right? Right. Because it's not going away. So let's, let's, uh, let's not run from it. Because yeah. there's, there are tough questions to be asked and, and answered about yeah. life coaching um, and mental health counseling too, right? Right. Uh, so let's do it. This is the Psychology in Seattle podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Kirk Honda. I'm a therapist and a professor. Who are you, Mike? How, how would you introduce yourself? My name is Mike Bundrant. I'm with the INLP Center. We train life coaches, and I'm a formal, uh, former mental health counselor, LPC, uh, licensed in the state of New Mexico. My license is, is retired, uh, so it's still there. I can unretire it at any time, but I'm leaving on leaving it on uh, retired status. I practiced uh, as an agency counselor, working under a psychiatrist and a clinical psychologist uh, for several years, sort of working in the mental health system. And then I went and uh, became. A life coach and started training life coaches. So I've got a little bit of experience in, in both fields. Cool. This episode is just for patrons of the podcast. So if you're listening to this and you're not a patron of the podcast yet, this episode will end before the content begins. If you want to hear the full episode, you have to become a patron of the podcast by going to patreon.com. That's patreon.com. When you, go, when you become a patron, you get access to hundreds of patron-exclusive episodes in which we do deep dives into various topics. And when you become a patron, you don't have to listen to the vast majority of commercials. And also remember that a portion of your monthly pledge goes towards various charities that we support. 
Okay, welcome to the Patron Zone people. We love you very, very much for becoming patrons. Let's get into coaching and counseling here. So full disclosure, I just want to start off by saying that I personally like the coaches that I've worked with professionally. There's a a coach in Seattle that I've worked a lot with. His name is John Mace, and he fashions himself a Buddhist-type person who talks about Buddhism and mindfulness and stuff with, with his clients. He practices on Capitol Hill. And he and I have collaborated on a number of clients, and I really respect his work. I have you know pretty intimate knowledge of how he operates because some of my clients will talk extensively about what they do with him. And uh, in a way, I... Uh, you know, I have to know what's happening because when I'm treating the client and they're also going to him, um, I have to I have to become very aware of what's happening. And and so, um, although at first I was a little skeptical and a little unfamiliar with what it meant, it's like so this this coach is sending me clients and we're working together. What does that all mean? I just have to say, like, there hasn't been any problems and. Uh, and and the clients that have gone to him have told me that they've really enjoyed working with him. I, I think that there are at times because I've I've had I've had so many clients over the years between me and him that there's a, there's a couple cases where I think John will not necessarily know that he is uh, um, perhaps. N- not uh, doing coaching anymore. And I've had clients tell me that they'll think, uh, I think John is trying to help us with this, but I don't think he, I don't think he knows what he's doing because he's a coach. Um, but the scale of it wasn't that severe and it's not like therapists don't step outside their bounds of competence either. So it, it wasn't, it's not, it wasn't alarming anyway. So full disclosure, I just want to say that, the one coach that I have very intimate experience with, uh, I've had I've had a very positive experience with. Um, so let me ask you, Mike, just just right off the start, because in case some of my listeners don't know, in, in our field, therapists and counselors, licensed people, tend to look down on coaches. Uh, not all, but many. Uh, is that your experience, Mike? Yes, not all. Uh, but many do uh, look down on coaches. It's not something that, um, you know, it's not something that I think anyone should be proud of. Um, I think the looking down on coaches is um, probably because coaches are a a threat uh, in a way. Uh, They shouldn't be. Um, The fields are pretty well delineated if you understand them. But um, I think therapists can see coaches um, as a threat. And um, I think there are some uh, other, maybe even more justifiable reasons uh, why that may be the case. Um, Because if you're a therapist, typically you've had a lot of uh, academic uh, requirements of you. Um, you've had a lot to go through to earn your license and uh, coaches uh, do not necessarily uh, or many coaches don't 
don't have those requirements. They're not as much as required. Then you may find coaches who do blur the line, who do um, attempt to work with people who they shouldn't be working with and, and so forth. And so, um, yeah, that's my experience. Yeah, that's my guess too. It, really, even within the mental health field, everyone hates each other. It's what I always say. You know, <laughs> counselors hate therapists who hate social workers who hate psychiatrists who hate psychologists who hate, yeah. you yeah. know, uh, nurse practitioners who, uh, it all, you know, everyone hates each other. And so, uh, coaches are, uh, if 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 people even know they exist, because it's not like a huge field yet, um, yeah. are, are equally hated, if not more, uh, for the, for basically everyone hates each other because the people who hate other professions, in my experience, either have been fed propaganda or they are afraid for their own job security, essentially, and they don't. You know, it's like, you know, the Mexicans are taking our gerbs. You know, it's the same, it's <laughs> exactly. the same, it's the same That's worry, it. you know, like the coaches are taking our gerbs, you know. Yeah. And, and so uh, to, to have that worry is fine and, and to, and to raise the questions is fine, but to just jump to a hatred or to a, uh, an automatic, uneducated skepticism, I think is, is um, not well-minded also as you said therapists go through at least some education and training and certification and licensure whereas coaches don't and so there's i think a worry that coaches will um make us look bad in some ways do you know anyway um so the history uh i couldn't find a lot of good information on the history of coaching. What what do you know about the history of coaching, Mike? Uh, I I know a little bit about it. I'm not an expert um, on the history of coaching. There, you know, are people who look at the history and stretch it out into some grand scheme that goes back to Aristotle and Plato. They were the first coaches. It's like, okay, it's, calm down. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but uh, it's sort of um, mostly seen as a movement that uh, came from humanism, uh, that when uh, people like Carl Rogers, uh, you know, sort of came into popularity in the field, sort of started having this sort of more positive view of people and seeing their potential and promoting things like unconditional positive regard and, and, and so forth. And um, it sort of, it has its roots there. It goes back to that human potential movement. They're sort of a splintering uh, off in that movement. And, um, you know, for some reason there's this book, and I remember it because it's just, uh, when I was a kid, it's a total fluke. This book was in our house. It was called The Inner Game of Tennis. And uh, this book came out, and it's I, I, I've never even read it, but um, it had some interesting sort of coaching-like concepts in it that um, the people who, uh, Thomas Leonard, uh, people who wrote sort of the initial books on coaching, coactive coaching, 
he sort of drew upon this human potential movement and some of the early books that had some coaching-related concepts in them, and they literally formed um, their own field with the idea that we want to move people forward. Um, we, we, for people who need support and help and strategies um, to uh, think more clearly, to be more motivated, to sort of deal with their inner game a little bit, not in a clinical way, not in a way that's di- not diagnosable, um, and not necessarily in a we're going to solve the problem kind of way, but in a way of let's look at your future, let's set your goals, and let's build in some accountability, and let's give you some strategies for moving your life forward uh, to a more fulfilling and balanced and meaningful place. And the coaching field, if you look at it, um, if you get past whatever prejudice you might have about it, and you sort of look at the structure of it, and the biggest coaching organization, uh, which is a private organization, not a government organization, the International Coaching Federation, they have their code of ethics, uh, they have their core competencies that sort of define uh, good coaching. And it's as rigorous as a professional organization should be. Uh, it's a wonderful way to see people in terms of their uh, potential, not in terms of their problems. And the code of ethics, you could just take the best uh, mental health uh, therapist code of ethics and stack it up against the International Coach Federation's code of ethics, and and um, it's solid, solid stuff. And the problem is in, is in enforcement. There's no enforcement of life coaching. There's no, there's nothing legal about it. But it's a it's a solid. Uh, a uh, field. It's an emerging field still, um, and so they've been building structure uh, around it. But uh, you know, they've done a really good a really good job of it so far. There's nothing to disrespect about it until you start getting into uh, what a lot of life coaches and coach training institutes, quote unquote, have done. Given that there's complete freedom and no regulation in the field. Now you've opened the door to a bunch of scammers and stuff like that. And there's a lot of that going on. Right. To me, it's like you and I, Mike, we decide that we are going to start a code of ethics for human beings or something, or let's just say podcasters. Mm-hmm. You and go. I, we say, you know, for podcasters, we are going to create a code of ethics, and which means that we're going to uh, develop codes regarding do no harm. We're going to, you know, have codes of ethics that have to do with not scamming people, being honest, making honest claims, not making any false claims, blah blah blah. Mm-hmm. And that's it. That's essentially. <laughs> but we have no way of forcing other podcasters to follow it. We have we have no way of even knowing that they know about our code of ethics. We have no way of even 
getting to those other podcasters to tell them we have a code of ethics. Nope. Because right now, any anyone can, literally anybody, a, a six-year-old girl could call herself a coach if she wanted to online. Legally, and, absolutely. There and, is nothing stopping you from calling yourself any kind of a coach. It's no different than calling yourself a business person or right. an entrepreneur. This is what I am. And there, it is a legally meaningless title. Right. Yeah. And there's a part of me that likes that because I have a libertarian streak and, and I don't like it when everything is, is so regulated that, like, for instance, the word psychologist used to be a, a general term. But today, only only certain people can call themselves a psychologist, right? And right. so, uh, same with with counselor and therapist. There's only certain people. And so, uh, like I, I'm a marriage and family therapist. I'm a licensed marriage and family therapist. So technically, I don't call myself a counselor. Um, mm-hmm. It's not illegal for me to call myself a counselor. But there's all this weird languaging that this public doesn't even get. And so, right. I don't know it. I. I, I appreciate I, and want people, you know, like when Uber came out, it's like these people come out and they're like, look, we're going to we're going to have a, a service that is like taxis, but it's not taxis. Right. And it's it's cheaper. It's more efficient. It's it's more customer oriented or at the very least, it's another option you have mm-hmm. in addition to traditional taxis. Well, coaches to me seem very similar to that. It's like this, this thing emerges and they're like, look, there's this other option that if you, you know, maybe you want a counselor, maybe you don't, maybe you want a coach, maybe you don't. And so it's up to you to decide. But the problem is when it comes to taxis and Uber is that most people understand the differences for the most part. And, it's not hard to understand the differences because of the nature of the service. It's, it's pretty clear what the differences are. Mm-hmm. You know, like when I get into a taxi cab and I say, take me to, you know, blah, blah, blah. They zoom off. They don't look at a, at a, at a, uh, ways, you know, a map, uh, program. Mm-hmm. They just, they know exactly how to get there and they get there fast because taxi drivers are professional drivers and, the, and they know their way around a town. An Uber oftentimes isn't has might have never even been to the town you're driving to because it could be either their first time. Anyway, my point is is that um, there's a difference and and I know it. And with coaches, it's similar. But the problem is is that there's a it's like Uber is putting it's like there are Uber drivers painting their cars like a taxi and call, and then right. calling themselves a taxi service and then people are getting into the taxi cab and they're trying to act like they're a taxi. You know, it's, it's, it's not, uh, that's the problem, you know, a life coach impersonating a therapist. Right. 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 Or, or the life coach that doesn't even know that they're impersonating a therapist. Well, and I would say that is, um, the most common scenario, right? They just don't know. They don't have, uh, they don't have the training. They don't have the experience. And if you're a life coach that gets good life coach training and so on and so forth, then you're going to learn uh, about that. And if you get good supervision, I mean, if you think of sort of the path toward becoming a life coach, 
the element, all of the um, elements in terms of training, uh, practicum, supervision. What uh, What do you require at, at, at your facility? Well, they're uh, a minimum of uh, sixty hours of training time, which is classroom time. Then you have to go through a mentoring program. You have to go to advanced coaching clinics where uh, there are uh, uh, real-life coaching scenarios presented. And then an additional 125 hours of sort of what we would call a practicum where you are coaching and getting supervision. So it's that's the ICF associate certified coach level, correct? Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh, it's 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 uh, it's fairly uh, rigorous uh, if you go through that. Um, well, it's 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 not it's more rigorous than nothing, but compared to <laughs> compared to a master's degree, it's it's pretty light, you know. The uh, yeah. 60 hours of training is equivalent to like one or two courses in graduate school, you know. Where, yeah. Whereas in graduate school, you're going to have um, like 750 or 1,000 hours instead of 60, you know. Yeah. So, so you're cramming a lot in, and um, it's hard to imagine, I just have to say, this is a tough question, Mike, that after 60 hours of class time, that someone emerges with, a, you know, a confident, firm grasp on what it is to be a coach and what the responsibilities are. You're talking about the supervised practice, so maybe a lot happens in that situation or, you know, ongoing continuing yeah, ed yeah, or something. No, it's, it's a great question. It's a really great question. And uh, I'll concede, maybe it's not enough. I don't know. But let's look at the question. Um, and I'll answer the question by starting with, let's look at what we're training somebody to do yeah uh, we're training them to do life coaching which if people understand and do life coaching we are not dealing with the pathologies the diagnosis we're not dealing with um, clinical issues which are infinitely more complicated um, there is a host of things there is a world of things where we don't go there, that's not what coaching is. So let me pause you there because that's a that's a major sticking point in the difference between coaching and counseling that I appreciate on paper, but yes. on the ground level, uh, anecdotally, I've heard many coaches that don't necessarily refer. Now I now John Mace has referred people to me in in that in those cases, but in all honesty. I'm guessing he, uh, in his work with people, he dips into areas that are essentially assessing and treating, uh, you know, depression and anxiety, for instance. Mm -hmm. uh, the other thing is, is in order to uh, uh, follow that that ethical code or that guideline to that you're not treating psychopathology, you have to understand what psychopathology is. You know, like mm -hmm. how how does how does a coach even know the difference between 
treating someone with ADHD and coaching someone who wants to improve their organizational skills. Mm -hmm. Like there is, as a clinician myself, I can tell the difference. I, I mean, it's a, it's, there's a fuzzy zone there, but, but I bet you anything, if I, if I sat down with a coach and talked with them about a client who was working on organizational skills with say a hunt, they had, you know, they had 50 clients with organization. I bet you anything I could tease out the clients that they were working with that had, had ADHD. Now, mm -hmm. I don't know the answer to the question in terms of like, well, you know, just because someone has ADHD doesn't mean that they can't see a coach, right? Um, but how does a coach even know the difference between you know, helping someone with organizational skills and treating ADHD, among all the other things, you know, helping yeah. helping someone with motivation or treating depression, helping someone with social skills or treating social anxiety. Like, how, how, how do you even know in 60 hours of training the difference between those things? Yeah, um, let's just say you're not going to know uh, that, um, I mean, it would be absurd uh, that a in 60 hours um, plus uh, even the 125 hours of practicum and, and the supervision and so forth, um, it would be absurd to think that that would be adequate that someone could recognize clinical diagnoses. And uh, I'm not sure, I, I think there probably should be a lot better training out there for coaches to see the red flags of what they, you know, sh definitely should not be working with. Uh, there should be probably a lot better training out there to do that. And at the same time, here's, th this is an interesting question. Again, I, I don't know the answer to it. Um, coaching is a, is a different model than therapy. And so if a coach brings someone in, it's like, okay, you're in my get your life organized life coaching program, right? And uh, there's 20 people and, you know, six of them are going to be diagnosable as ADHD. The coach um, isn't going to recognize that or see it. Now, here's the question. Should the coach recognize and see it? Because I think what would happen if you have a coach completely ignorant of ADHD, doesn't come up, doesn't recognize it, wouldn't know what to do if uh, he did recognize it, then those six ADHD um, uh, patients are, uh, shouldn't call them patients, uh, given that they're coaching clients, they're let's just say they're not going to do as well in the get your life organized program. They're, you know, they're just not going to get as much out of it. They have uh, limitations uh, or phenomena going on that, you know, a non ADHD person, uh, you know, they don't have. And so, okay. The, end result is the ADHD client goes, well, that coaching didn't work very well for me. Right. And so I, uh, as we're talking about it, I'm starting to uh, understand or I don't know. And as you explain things, I'm starting to sort of get it because on some level, it's like 
if if someone you know if you're if if it's treated like a class, right? Mm-hmm. If it's treated like, look, I have a an approach to helping people with organization, and let me coach you on that. It'll be an individual class tailored to you uh, on in terms of organizational skills. And I, I have expertise, and I've worked with a lot of people. I have a lot of ideas. Mm-hmm. If that's all it is, and and that's what a coach does, whenever I and I've and, and in my research. I've come across coaches that do stuff like this, then I'm like, yeah, totally go for it. Especially if that's how you're advertising. You know, you're like, look, I am a life coach that helps people get organized. What I am not is I don't, if if you come into a session and you tell me about how the reason why you can't get organized is because you're going through a divorce and you want to talk about your divorce that that is not my expertise and i'm going to refer you somewhere else but what i can talk with you about is you know how to figure out what you want to take to goodwill and and how you can have better shelf space and you know so and how you can get motivated and how you can you know you know really enjoy your life better you know that kind of that kind of talk Uh I am 100% for. There's really, there's nothing clinical about it, and someone should be able to offer essentially a one-person class about whatever they want to offer on, you know? Sure. Um, but <laughs> the stuff that I see online, it is not that. There are people who yeah. are saying, I can cure your ADHD as a life coach. That's what they're saying. Mm-hmm. And they're saying, I can help you figure out how to how to win over women as a life coach. I can, I know how to use um, NLP, for instance, to get you the, the, you know, romantic partner that you've been looking for. Mm-hmm. I, I know as a life coach how to cure your depression. Mm-hmm. I, I am, as a life coach, know how I, I'm better at treating your at curing your your social anxiety than psychiatry is that that is what they're saying you know yeah, and so yeah, the, yeah. I, to me i as we talk about it uh, and as you talk about shall we say legitimate co- ethical coaches mm-hmm. it's almost like they should call them you guys should call yourself something different than coach <laughs> well, at this point. You know, that, that, that's a really good um <laughs> well that's a, that's that's an interesting point um but what I think should happen, um, what I'd rather see happen, is that any coach or NLP practitioner or anyone who is not, who doesn't have the proper credentials, that is saying they can cure any mental health diagnosis. So when you're throwing around words like ADHD and depression and social anxiety, and um, they have no business talking about that. Um, and when they say, I can cure this, I can treat this better than a psychiatrist and so forth, that's an illegal claim and uh, they can be prosecuted. Uh, but, the the, FTC, but the chance that someone's going to take that on is pretty slim. And it, 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 it is pretty slim. Um, but is, if a therapist, if a therapist like my licensed person and like you used to be, we can have our license pulled very easily and yeah. and the the process to because to, all you have to do as a consumer is 
call a licensing board or write them write them an email, and and then the licensing board or the ethics board takes over and you're done. There but, there goes your career. Right. There goes your career. Right. A life coach. Um, you'd have uh, to sue them in civil court, which means you, you would have to, to get you have to pay for a lawyer. Which who's going to do that? You know what I mean? You'd have to win the case. You know. Um, right. And right. so the uh, the barrier to consequence is so so high that yeah. coaches are basically an unregulated wild west at this point, and you're getting a lot of charlatans. Um, in fact, yeah, absolutely, it's true. It's yeah. com- it's it's completely true. Right. Tons of charlatans. It is the wild west. There is no one that can possibly hold anyone accountable other than the court system uh, if somebody breaks the law, but there's no code of ethics in the state or state licensing boards or anything like that to um, you know, serve uh, disciplinary uh, measures on anybody. Um, it, it is the Wild West, and when you hire a life coach, um, you could be hiring someone who last week was a plumber and who read a book and decided to call himself a life coach. That is a possibility. He could even make up his own life coach certification certificate, print it out on his inkjet, put it in a <laughs> frame, yeah. and hang it on his wall. Yeah. Seriously. Yeah. That, that could yeah. happen. Yeah. That could happen. I am a certified life coach from the best certified life coach organization known to man. Yeah. Um, now, and having it would said, be legal. It yeah. would be legal. It yeah. would not be illegal. And having said all that, as anyone who listens to this podcast will attest to, I fully understand that counselors and therapists and psychologists, social workers, psychiatrists, nurse practitioners all exhibit egregious behavior as well so it's that's not like I left, that's why i left the mental health system by the way how come well i worked in an agency and i i was a i was an lpc and uh, i worked as a staff counselor before i left and went into private uh, practice but uh, worked under a, a psychiatrist and a clinical psychologist. I had my supervision uh, meetings uh, every week and uh, may attribute some of this to being you know sort of young and idealistic and so forth wanting to serve my clients as best as possible but the level of manipulation of the diagnosis, that people received in order to win more sessions from the insurance companies. Uh, the um, I, I'm not going to say forced medication because it wasn't forced medication, uh, but the supervision around medication was unbelievably aggressive. I, I couldn't believe it. It's like I was told I needed to try to convince people to go on medication who were not even interested uh, in medication. One of my super, one of the psychiatrists who's my supervisor told me, look, here's what I want you to do. 
you go in and you bet your client 20 bucks that if he goes on Prozac, he's going to get better. And uh, he's like, that's the supervision. And he was dead serious. Um, the uh, sort of manipulative tactics, I came to the conclusion, um, and I almost started taking tape recorders into my supervision meetings. Um, and maybe this was just sort of an example uh, or a bad example in the field. But what I concluded was that there is so much going on in the field where um, the the mental health agencies are run by the lawyers and the accountants and the primary goal is um, cut costs, be profitable, and cover our butts, don't get sued. And the actual needs of the client um, came, after, came after all that stuff. I mean, and so I had, I don't remember if it was two or three years of that. And so then I left and I practiced uh, on my own. I said, you know what? I'm not even going to bill insurance. It's like if I, people will pay me, they'll write me a check, they'll pay full price. And if I can't get people to do that, then I must not be, I went capitalistic on it, right? It's like if I'm not offering the value of $125 an hour, then I shouldn't be doing this. And so then I went into private practice for the rest of my time in New Mexico, about four years. But um, be, uh, I guess I'm saying there's another side to the story in which um, the mental health system, including all the education, it doesn't necessarily breed expert therapists. In many cases, it breeds really mediocre, incompetent therapists yeah uh, absolutely it's very interesting know. to hear that i have a very uh, again people listen to this podcast know that i rail about this sort of thing that happens all the time your story does not surprise me um and it's upsetting and it's a it systemic is. problem it's, it's not these aren't bad apples per se it's 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 the way in which um a capitalism or americanism kind of works in some ways but it's also okay. There, there's very little recourse that clients can take, or um, it's a, it's a scary process for someone in your position to to report people or to speak out or that kind of thing. And so, you have incentives, money incentives to to do that kind of stuff sometimes. And so, sure. it's not as if mental health is without its problems. That, but there is a difference in that. At the very least, the ability to strike back is just a lot more efficient, I would imagine. It's not oh, like super efficient. but, ab but ab Absolutely. It, well, the mechanism is at least there. Right. And, 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 and the education, because all, you know, that psychiatrist and that, and that psychologist, we know by definition took at least, you know, a couple hundred hours in ethics and standard of practice and stuff, if, if not more. And yeah. so at least we know for sure that they were given a chance to learn this stuff. Whereas, you know, coaches, were, you know. But, and, and they knew it, that this clinical psychologist was um, in his day was actually a, a gifted uh, therapist. Um, he just sort of gave up the art and uh, sort of went in the, 
business with uh, when he got this uh, contract to sort of become an HMO. But let me throw in one other very interesting fact, which um, will sort of also maybe put things in perspective. Because when I got my license, my counselor's license um, in the state of New Mexico in the mid 90s, I came out of college. I, you know, did all the stuff. Got my supervision hours, and you know, t- did all the right stuff. Took tests, but it was in the what second year of licensure. In other words, prior to that, in 1994 or three, New Mexico did not have a state licensing board for mental health. Right. In other words, it was. If you were a plumber, you could call yourself a counselor. Right. Early 90s, New Mexico, and I think they were one of the last states to come on board. So, No, it, yeah. was, it was the same in Washington State. There was, we called oh. it, a, there was a license, there was a registered counselor that you could get for $40, and you could call yourself a counselor at that point. So, and, and that changed, I think, around the year 2000 in Washington. Oh, really? That, that late? So... You know the you know the, the infrastructure and the laws and all that. It just takes forever to put into place. And life coaching is a much younger field. It's going there. Yeah, um, I was going to ask you about that if you there. if you would welcome oh. that because that that um, I guess that would probably benefit you in a lot of ways because you're trying to be an ethical coach and you don't want to be associated with charlatans yeah. and people and, will and come. Come yeah. to your uh, your training facility and the to- coach training institute, right? I mean, we we work very hard to position ourselves with what and you never know, but with what most the vast majority of people believe is going to become the government of life coaching, which is the International Coaching Federation. It's where all the infrastructure is. Um, you know they're constantly lobbying lobbying for it. It's been considered. Oh, they are. They're they're lobbying. They want that. They want that. They want to become that. It's been considered. I pay attention. It's been considered. Um, I think in a couple of states, and it's not passed yet. I mean, it's in its it's a it's a field in its infancy infancy, yeah. and it's sort of like in order to prove that there that. We need that bureaucracy. We have to demonstrate that all this crap can go wrong and people can get hurt. I mean, that's sad, yeah. um, but it's true. And it's it, it's definitely going there. I welcome it because, um, you know, anybody who's, um, you know, who has integrity um, and who's, you know, doing their best to be rigorous in the training and again, life coach training is shorter, but the application of life coach training, you know, properly applied um, is in a much lighter, simpler um, area of life and, uh, and uh, of, you know, somebody's uh, sort of area of interest in hiring a life coach is not full of pathology and a life coach shouldn't be there shouldn't be, you know, going in that direction. And so the more infrastructure we can put in place, the more training and requirements and, 
you know, I don't like bureaucracy, but um, but I see the need for it, and it's just so embarrassing. Uh, some of the people who call themselves life coaches and, life and you, coaches, you'd like to weed those guys out. Yeah. So oh, absolutely. So it'd become probably like a registered or certified cause it wouldn't be a license in all likelihood, um, uh, coach life coach or something. And, and the problem in the United States is you have to get it passed in every state. <laughs> um, you do. and you, do. you can't just go to the feds and say like, let's do this one thing. It has to, it's you, on a state you, level. You do. Yeah, NBCC, um, NBC National Board of Certified Counselors, they have a life coaching. Uh, they have a life coaching credential. It's called Board Certified Coach. So I think they are um, attempting to position themselves in such a way too to be sort of one of the, um, you know, one of the one of the big players because everybody knows that that's where it's headed. Yeah, and I welcome that. Uh, essentially, a way of seeing it is they are a subsection of of um, a, a kind of counseling that yeah. if we had more people, all the better. And yeah. and if they're you know some people might not want to get a master's degree and they they want to uh, fast track to the helping profession through this. And or they don't want to get into mental health because they're really just more interested in the kind of activities that life coaching involves. And I I I totally welcome that. Um, So uh, and and the ability to weed out uh, people so that it would be illegal to call themselves a life coach, I think, would would be great. Um, That's the direction. I don't want to have to choose a different name for the profession. For me, I'm I'm one of the good guys. Let's make it illegal for them uh, to call themselves. They call themselves whatever they want to. But um, Well, Mike, let me ask you something. So there was that period of time where you went into private practice and Mm -hmm. you didn't want to – be like those, the you know those professionals that you worked with prior. Um, why, or maybe you did, but why at that point did you not just say, "I'm going to become the sort of counselor that works with positive psychology and solution-focused therapy and and Rogerian therapy," and I'm and I'm not going to use insurance and I'm not going to pathologize and I'm I'm going to be future oriented and I'm going to, I'm going to do all the things that a lot of life coaches claim to do. Um, but I'm going to stay within the field of counseling. How, how come you didn't do that? I did do that. Um, for the next, uh, four years, um, I was able to bill insurance and some of the, when I left the agency, some of my clients came with me and I managed to build their insurance. So I, I still had to work with diagnoses for a while. Um, but, you know, at the end of the day, I dropped the emphasis on diagnosing. It was a more humanistic approach. I utilized um, NLP. I wouldn't say that I turned into a, a life coach um, where I wasn't uh, helping people deal with um, their anxieties, depression, their childhood trauma. I mean, I've been trained in a lot of the different 
modalities to uh, to help people with that. Um, so why and so, then what made the transition from that so, to coaching? Yeah, so uh, a strange thing happened almost ten years into my career because you know out of college I became a counselor and and then you know spent uh, spent the next ten years doing that and. And I got this opportunity, of all things, uh, to <laughs> to run an engineering firm, and um, I took it. And the the logic was, um, you know, I'm I'm 31 years old, 32 years old, however old I was, and all I've done in my life is sit in the counselor's chair. I've never sort of been part of any kind of office politics. Um, I've never had employees. I've never kind of been part of the world that most of my clients um, live in every day. And so I got this sort of long-term vision that, you know, if I take five years, maybe more, and just go into the world of business, I'm going to be a better counselor in the end. Because I'll have more breadth, um, more experience as as a person. <laughs> so that's what I did. I wasn't looking for it. It was just this opportunity that came up. It was this really great engineering firm, all Fortune 100 clients. And it's like I'm traveling around and mixing with um, sort of the you know, high-end business people. And I, I thought that was kind of cool. I thought, you know what, this is like a great opportunity and I'm going to be a better counselor in the end. So I did that. Then you can never predict the future. One thing leads to another. I ended up in California running some other business and uh, got done with that. I started a newspaper. It's like uh, I ran that uh, for eight years. And uh, the whole time I was training NLP in Tokyo for six weeks a year through this whole time. And I don't know, it's sort of like, okay, when I got ready to work with people again, um, I wanted to put our NLP training, which ultimately we've added a life coach training online. The internet had become the big thing. Let's figure out how to do that right. And um, that's really uh, 90% of my uh, emphasis and then I get people who request to coach with me and have a, you know, a small private coaching practice. But it's, you know, I don't do the coaching part full time. And I just decided I wasn't going to hassle with getting whatever my license transferred and whatever I needed to do. And is there an education gap? And I mean, I, I just didn't want to hassle with going through all of that dealing with uh practicing as a mental health counselor in in California and um, and see and there it is there's no regulation in the life coaching industry I have training as a life coach got certified as a life coach in the meantime but it was just so much easier to say I'm gonna do coaching instead of counseling now I I feel fine about me saying that because I've got a ton of training and experience and I absolutely draw the line. Even and you're though, and you're trained as a counselor in practice. And I'm trained, even though I'm trained as a counselor, and I, I will not work with clinical diagnoses, even though I could, 
um, I won't do it. Uh, and so I'm like, I'm definitely one of the good guys about it. But because I can say, you know what, it's just a lot less hassle to become a coach. That means anybody can say it. And it is a problem. It is a problem. That's interesting. Okay, that makes it's it's. Um, I can see the path there. Uh, we'll have another episode in which we talk about neurolinguistic programming, uh, which sure. I'm sure people are like, what, what's he talking about, NLP? So yeah. that's yeah. interesting. Yeah, NLP is associated with coaching for whatever reason, which I don't really understand. But maybe we can get into that in another episode. But yeah, so you it. were so you were into helping you know people understand NLP and which uh, and and teaching classes on that, and then you uh, decided to start a NLP training thing in the States and then, and then that, uh, then you added on the coaching to that. I, I yeah. Think. Yeah. Um, it's when we, we really wanted to figure out how to do the online education thing and sort of transfer the skills and kind of nobody thought it could be done, done. Some people thought I was the devil for trying to do it, but I thought, you know, this is a, this is a challenge. Um, and if, you know, the future of learning as the online world is a huge part of it. Somebody better figure this out. Um, and I decided I was the one. And I think we've done a lot to figure it out so that um, skills can really transfer. But um, I guess that's another story. But it wasn't. Um, and because we spent so much effort uh, doing that and we've become pretty well known we have students in over 60 countries i mean it's like people go hey mike i i want to have some sessions with you can you coach me and i always have a few of those people and i like to stay sharp so i do it great well so that makes a lot of sense um i want to get to some of the things in my notes here just um so we don't not get to them um <laughs> So just getting back to the history a little bit, uh, I, I want to point out that the term coach has been used in the field of mental health at times. For example, Murray Bowen preferred to call himself a coach and other Bowenian counselors at the time would call themselves a coach in, instead of a psychiatrist or a therapist or a counselor because Bowen and, <clears throat> and his followers want to coach people regarding differentiation and they, they don't want the client to see the the practitioner as heavily involved in the situation if, if it's it's a complicated thing but essentially <clears throat> there are, there are past people who would call themselves a coach but it's not really coaching in the way that we think of it today it's a similar move when they decided to start calling patients clients you know there there's there's mm -hmm. been there's been different movements here and there over the past 150 years um so we've been talking about the uh in the international coaching the international coach federation which was founded in 1995 and it claims to be the largest coaching organization in the world um they have three different levels that I found. Uh, the first one is the one that you're training toward, which is the associate certified coach level. Uh, the second level is the professional, which is looks like like two to three times as much uh, work as the associate. And then there's a master certified coach, which is uh, 200 hours of training, which is about, I don't know, a third of a master's, maybe a quarter of a master's or something. And 2,500 hours of experience with it, with at least 35 clients, and that's that's a lot of experience. 2,500 hours 
of coaching experience is is a fair amount. <laughs> so mm -hmm. if someone called themselves a, a master certified coach, and you know, and they had that stamp of approval from the ICF, I, I would I would be in, impressed by that effort, considering the fact that they didn't have to do that to practice. Um, also, Patrick Williams is the is a psychologist who founded ICF and. He's saying that coaching is the hottest trend to hit the self-improvement business. And uh, so, I don't know, he just says that. Uh, Tony Robbins, most people know who Tony Robbins is. And he, I don't know if he calls himself a life coach, but on his website, there's talk about the difference between a coach and a therapist. And I just wanted to read that and hear what you think about it, Mike. Mm -hmm. uh, it says here, a life coach would be able to offer guidance by clarifying and achieving personal and professional goals, by creating business plans, by working to improve communication skills, by achieving financial independence and security, by achieving a work-life balance, by starting a new business or growing a current business. Do do all those things sound like life coach objectives? Yeah, they do. Um, it's just ironic that it's on the Tony Robbins website. You know, clearly his lawyer wrote a uh, team of lawyers wrote that. How come? Right. What's I don't know the. Well, is there a controversy Tony, around that? Tony Robbins is. Um, you know, I kind of have conflicting views of Tony Robbins because you know he, in many ways put NLP on the map in the ways that nobody else could. I mean, he got his start by taking an NLP practitioner certification. That's what started it all for him. And um, back in the day, I mean, we have to talk more about NLP, but, you know, back in the early days of NLP, it was, you know, very much therapeutic applications. It was all about how do great therapists do therapy so at any rate they would teach this uh something in nlp it's called the fast phobia cure um you know how do you cure a phobia quickly it actually works a fair amount of the time if you are working with a simple phobia and you do the te technique correctly and so a lot of nlp trainers would you know call people up on the stage and it ends up being this big dog and pony show but someone who comes up and is afraid of snakes or what have you and whiz bang do the fast phobia cure and hey they're holding the snake a few minutes later that's a dog and pony show i happen to know that in the therapist's office it also works uh, legitimately a fair amount of the time at any rate tony robbins went through his first weekend of practitioner training and he must have been 20 21 years old he went out on the um that the the next week or whatever and got on some talk radio show um and called out a local psychiatrist and challenged the psychiatrist to bring one of your patients down to such and such hotel bring your most difficult patient and i'll cure them and i'll cure them way better than you can and the psychiatrist did it <laughs> and so it's like tony went out and um basically did everything that you and I are saying should never be done. <laughs> and now you read on his website, life coaching is this thing where you can help people reach goals. Uh, that's not how Tony approached it at all. What? In, how in did the, it go in the hotel room? Well, 
Um, I wasn't there. I've only heard like sort of second and uh, third hand. Oh, they didn't film um, it. Um, I I don't know if there is a film with it, but from what I understand, it went really well. Uh, Tony ended up looking really good, and that was sort of the catalyst of him launching his career. He got on another radio show and another one, and being the show. Yeah, I mean, one. <laughs> I just have to say, like, if if I, I mean, I'm not a psychiatrist. I'm a marriage family therapist, and currently in my practice, which is a small practice, most of my clients are what most people would call in the self-actualizing zone. Yeah. Although there are people who have. Uh, you know, legitimate trauma reactivity today and PTSD. Mm-hmm. Um, and I have to say, if, if I chose my most difficult client off the top of my head and brought them into him, I guarantee you there's no way that he would be able to really change that person within a short amount of time. Um, I can tell you the, I can tell you the scam if you want. Okay. Um, and we can we can spend more time on this um, in the future if you want to as well. But um, over the course of years, um, you know, NLP was developed by some really smart people. Um, and there's a whole dark side to it as well. But there are a few things that they really give you. They really work like magic. In other words, if you have a simple phobia. Um, where you get an instant panic response, see the cockroach, freak out. And that simple phobia came from a specific um, you know, trauma in the past that uh, unconsciously uh, sort of uh, motivates, uh, determines the panic, whatever. It's just this really simple stimulus response reaction, and it's intense panics. It's not a process phobia. It's not a... Um, uh, a, a more complicated phobia. This fast phobia cure kind of works like a charm. Right. So I could get that. Okay. But, so here's the scam. But a psychiatrist brings in a schizophrenic okay, client. Here's the scam. Here's the scam. An NLP trainer goes up on stage and goes, check it out. Here's a snake. They're freaking out. It does a little whiz bang magic and suddenly the person's okay. And yeah. they're holding the snake. And that's real. That's legitimate. That can happen. Yeah, absolutely. Now, here's the scam, which is that there's only a few examples of stuff that works like magic like that. And the structure of a phobia, right. if you think about it, is really, really simple. Right. And so the NLP trainer says, you know what, you guys, there's nothing more intense than a phobia. People can have them for decades, their lives being, uh, you know, run by this phobia. They're living in fear. And in 10 minutes, we take it away. Can you imagine what else it can do? And then go artfully vague. And everybody's imagination runs wild. Um, And... Yeah, this is the sort of stuff I was seeing on YouTube a lot. There's a there's a lot of NLP and and coaches uh, giving lectures. There's a there's a, I don't know if you know this one guy that I found a lot of videos or you know, seemingly prominent 
coaching videos and NLP videos. Um, yeah, his name's David something. I can't remember his name, but um, yeah, lots of lots of that kind of talk it, it, that it is. that yeah. is very um, typical to those kinds of speakers where they will and Tony Robbins included, honestly. Uh, and who was that other guy um, uh, who was on uh, PBS a lot? But there, there's these certain things that they will do. Matt that James or Matt James? Uh, um, no, yeah. an older guy. He had he always wore sort of jazzy sweaters. <laughs> anyway, uh, um, I don't know. There, there's this, there's these certain demonstrations that as a as a person who thinks about this sort of stuff and and analyzes it, I'm like, oh, I get what they're doing. They're yeah. They're essentially doing a, a little magic trick on stage, and then they uh, then they proceed to artfully generalize that to right. areas that are not likely it to generalize apply. to. It doesn't right. apply. And so even, um, I mean, anybody with their feet on the ground who thinks about it at all knows that even very, I mean, personal development, if you take it seriously, is a lifestyle it's a lot of work life is difficult change you gotta earn it if you can do it right and there's some things about yourself that you're not going to be able to change i mean it is effort i mean if somebody achieves a state of self-esteem from having very low self-esteem um, that is one hell of a long process, and if you get there, it's a triumph, you know. Right, uh, and there and there's not one hour of Tony Robbins. Oh that my, is gonna... that's the scam, and yeah. it is uh, nearly unconscionable. It's it's not okay, and if you see Tony Robbins on stage um, and the way he works, I mean, he's masterful at um, the kind of uh, dog and pony show that he does but that's interesting because i i i only have limited it's funny like a lot of my knowledge of tony robbins comes from the movie shallow how yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like uh like the rest of it i have real peripheral i don't think i've ever sat down and watched one of his you know things he was really popular i think in the 90s and um, so it's interesting to hear you say all this because uh, I didn't I didn't know all this, but we'll we'll have to get more into that when we talk about NLP in general. Yeah, uh, but yeah. that's fascinating. I I'm really fascinated by that whole thing, um, and I'm I'm glad that you know a lot about it. And I, I want to talk more about it another time. Um, getting back to my notes here, Robert Urell, Urell, a coach that was being interviewed on one of the various sites that I went to. I tried to avoid places that looked sketchy so I, I stuck to places on the internet that were legitimate and considered respectable and so and there because a lot of these websites were uh, doing interviews with coaches and counselors about coaching and Robert Yorl a coach who was interviewed on one of these websites says that coaching can soothe a wide range of problems including family issues attention deficit disorder Preparation for anxiety-filled events, neurological problems, brain injury, and excessive stress, and recovering from mental illness. Wait, wait. So now, coaching can... Coaching can soothe, soothe a wide range of problems. Interesting choice of words. Yeah. Soothe. Uh, yeah, which doesn't make... It's like, what does that mean exactly? But the... the um, <laughs> 
the claims here are even beyond counseling. I mean, brain injury, they're saying that uh, coaching can soothe brain injury uh, and recovering from mental illness. This is someone who went on the record and was interviewed by a legitimate source, a coach who is making wild claims that I'm, I know you wouldn't agree with. I don't even know how a coach could be either naive or ignorant or just playing dumb enough to put himself out there with those claims. I mean, he's Oh my God, there, there's so me. much of that. There's so much of that online. I mean, I, I didn't even have to look that far and coaches online who are practicing are going on the record and saying, this is, this is just one example, you know, again, coaching, this guy's saying coaching can soothe family issues, attention deficit disorder, anxiety, neurological problems, brain injury, stress, and recovering from mental illness. Yeah. Again, that's, that's a counselor wouldn't say that a counselor wouldn't say, I know how to treat brain injury. <laughs> like, yeah. you know, they would never say that. Um, no. So, so now again, you would have to take this person into court. You would have to uh, get a lawyer, and whereas in the future you will be able to report him to the coaching board, state board, who will have the state license, board that regulates the the, the the license, yeah, and, and business, yeah, right, right. Um, so I want to rattle through a, a a number of distinctions that I found again on uh, some of it's on the ICF website actually. Mm-hmm. And other uh, training, coaching training organizations, and I'm just going to rattle through them, and and we can comment on them. So, co- coaches work with healthy clients, whereas counselors work with persons needing help, and hoping to identify dysfunction or trauma to heal and resolve old pain. What do you think about that one? Well, I would say that uh, the f- first part of the statement, um, you know, seems reasonable. Coaches work with healthy clients who, uh, in other words, we're not treating a a clinical condition, a diagnosable condition. We're taking someone um, who's basically healthy, who's not bringing any medical condition into the coaching context. They're healthy. They want to uh, improve their lives. Counselors, of course, um, uh, we're we're qualified to work with um, you know, uh, mental dysfunction and pathology and all that kind of stuff. And healthy people, everyone who coaches work with, right? I mean, right. as a counselor, you you may want to uh, just uh, focus on helping people uh, self-actualize who are getting close to that, right? Right. I'm, gl- I'm glad you're saying that because online, all the distinctions that are mainly being said by coaches, honestly. Yeah. Uh, every time they would make a distinction, I would say, well, therapists do that too. So yeah. what, what coaches need to be saying is um, coaches help healthy clients and counselors and therapists also help healthy clients. And in addition to that, they do these other things. You exactly. know what I mean? They do. Which, which very few coaches online were, were saying these sorts of things. Um, other things are coaches assume emotions are normal. And counselors assume emotions are a symptom of something wrong. Um, <laughs> that's that's ridiculous. Wait, so uh, wait, that's on the ICF website? No, okay. I don't. Well, I, I sort of compiled. Well, it might be, but I, I compiled all of these delineations from the um, International Coach 
Federation from, uh, I think there's a, there's a major article on counseling today, I believe. And so, so, you know, take everything I'm saying with a grain of salt there. Um, but, but they weren't from some Yahoo's website, you know right, I mean? Right. It, it was, it was like people going, coaches who are, um, legit coaches, so to speak, or legitimized by the interviewer somehow. Anyway, um, coaches help clients identify challenges and then work in partnership with clients to obtain their goals and counselors diagnose and provide professional expertise. Again, same, uh, same deal. Yeah. It's same. like, and counselors do what you said coaches do. <laughs> exactly. Uh, um, progress is typically rapid and enjoyable in coaching and progress is often slow and painful in counseling. Uh, that's silly. Um, coaches focus on prevention and maximizing emotional health and counselors focus on illness. Again, silly. I mean, that, that to me, and tell me what you think about this, Mike, the, a good portion of, is especially when I think about, because a, a lot of coaches are, are ex-counselors or a lot of coaches are counselors currently, mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. And to me, I think a major reason to me i'm always like why would you as a counselor you know for you mike the path makes more sense because you actually went way away from counseling and to come back to the you know would be kind of weird right. but but there are people today who are like i went through the master's program i went through my internship i got licensed and now i want to also become a coach and i'm always like to me i'm like why would you do that yeah because it, the to me the only reasons are for two reasons or and they're related one is is that you don't have enough clients and you want to tap into the market of demand for coaching because there's a certain amount of people who are like you know what I don't want a therapist I just want to coach marketing purposes let's position right. ourselves right yeah. and, and and so you want to yeah and the other reason and possibly related to that is that there's still a ton of stigma about about going to therapy yeah whereas there's no or very little stigma if not in fact coaching is almost considered to be like an executive thing you know what i mean it's like ooh, you have a life coach that's really cool you know whereas ooh, you go to therapy you you're crazy yeah. and, and uh, there's different cultures among different groups of people i mean in in my circle going to therapy is there's nothing wrong with going to therapy in my circle obviously but but uh, i think that because of the tremendous stigma around getting, you know, hiring a mental health uh, person, people are like, well, I, you know, I'm much more comfortable getting a coach. And then that creates this demand, even though those people probably should be talking with a counselor. Right. Um, but they're just afraid about the stigma. Does that make sense to yeah, you? Yeah, that makes sense. Um, and, you know, at that point, who do they turn to to determine what they really need, right? I mean, I've heard some some pretty smart people say that, um, I don't think this is ever going to happen, but it's like maybe you should go to a counselor first to rule out, um, you know, that you need counseling and the counselor refers you to a coach, right? Yeah, and if you don't yeah. need counseling, then go to a go to. I don't know that that's ever uh, going to uh, happen, but I think, you know, some of what, what happens in the field is a little bit, you know, just sort of human animals 
separate into tribes and the other tribe becomes the enemy where what could be, you know, what should start as a legitimate attempt to draw boundaries around coaching and say, this is what we're, you know, there should be a distinction between coaches and counselors. Um, You know, there's probably a lot of people in the coaching industry that are sort of defining coaching in a way where they're also attempting to make counseling look bad. In coaching, emotions are normal. And in counseling, emotions are pathological. I mean, come on. Yeah. Right. Right. And so it's hard for that. I can't imagine that, you know, not happening to to a large degree, given human nature and sort of the competitiveness of of the industries and you know there's the other side of it too which you know there's their life coaches is like i don't know if i want to call myself a life coach it's kind of a joke and you know but i just i didn't want to go to school all the time to become a counselor and i don't want to sort of work with people the way counselors do or whatever it is and i went this route but now i'm kind of embarrassed and you know they're now they're looking up to the counseling profession going you know um geez, I'm a little ashamed of myself here for having done that. What I say is no matter what you are, I mean, it's like if I'm a counselor and I'm going to get a life coach certification to reposition myself for the market, it's like, ah, you know, if you want to learn life coaching techniques, yeah, yeah, yeah. But, you know, what I find is, when I um, was in private practice, not billing insurance as a counselor, and when I, um, you know, in my life coaching practice, my clients who became interested in working with me, um, they weren't interested in my title or my license. Um, right now, uh, no, no, I can't remember the last time anyone sort of asked me about my training or anything like that because. Um, sort of I want to demonstrate the value of what working can me with me can do uh, for someone and in a realistic way I want to demonstrate that you know uh, I have potential to really be a resource in their life I think that's what people want and they they care more about I uh, having a legitimate helpful resource then they care about who's got what credential and the credential um that whole process um to me is necessary uh for other reasons it doesn't mean you're a good coach or a counselor it means uh, it's to protect your the clientele right um it's to provide a structure for for the industry and accountability and at least that certain standards are are being followed. Um, I actually don't even know where I'm going with this or how. No, I, 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 well, I think the the main point that I'm taking away from what you're saying is that, and it's true in my practice as well. If you if you pulled my clients and said, "What exactly is Kirk's training in, and what's his license in?" Yeah. I bet you anything. One, none of them would know what my license is yeah. because cause that's a very arcane, confusing thing, even among <laughs> people in the field, you know? Right. Um, and so they wouldn't know that, I guarantee you. 
and in terms of my degree and my training, I, I'm guessing half of them would take a stab at it, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so they come to me for me. And if I reveal to them, uh, I've lied to you that I never graduated from high school and um, I'm now, I'm now, I can't call myself a therapist anymore. I'm now a life coach or whatever. I, I'm guessing that the majority, if not all my clients would be like, well, I don't care. Yeah. You know, it's yeah. like, I come here, I come here because it's helpful and, That's and it. all that other stuff doesn't um, mean much to me. That's right. But, but the reason why anyone even trusts to come to me, right. in addition to all the other mental health professionals, right. is because we have standards that basically make it so that the charlatanism is lessened and the competence is, is raised so that the general public trusts and uh, or they should trust us more in, in general, yeah. but, but, but they have a general trust of the various professions um, you know, if, if, whereas back in the day, it wasn't so much that way. Yeah. Right. But anyway, yeah. um, the other thing I want to say is that, you know, we're talking about the competitiveness that coaches are feeling against, you know, counselors they are saying, well, counselors are all about pathology and coaches are all about positiveness, you know, yeah. and how, how ridiculous that straw man is. Um, in, in some instances, it's sort of true, but it, because you can point to some counselors who are quote unquote focused on pathology and that sort of thing. But, but the whole notion of focusing on the future and the whole notion of focusing on strengths came from the field of psychology, <laughs> you know, came from got the it. field of counseling. You got it. And, and, and there are many people who are a billion percent into that, into that philosophy as, as a, as a, as a clinician. The other thing I'll say is that even within the field of mental health, there's a lot of competitiveness and, and straw manning that happens as well. I, my primary, I, I, I appreciate and incorporate all uh, counseling theories, but my main one is psychodynamic theory. And there's a lot of really bad information out there about what it means when someone says they're psychodynamic. And I can tell you from firsthand experience that there's a lot of ridiculousness even in the field. Okay, so going on here with some more things that I read online. Coaches don't have much paperwork, whereas counselors require clients to fill out all kinds of paperwork that imply that you have mental problems. Um, Now, what I have to say about that is, um, yeah, coaches don't have to have any paperwork, whereas counselors do have to have some paperwork. And in some circumstances, there's a lot of paperwork, you know, particularly to agencies, particularly if you're using Medicaid and Medicare. Um, But... My paperwork as a private practitioner in Washington can you could fill out in 20 seconds. Yeah. So, so uh, you know that's that's another straw man that is. There's a lot of variance in our field. Yeah. Um, another one here is let's see, coaching is future focus. Coach counseling is past focus. Um, I just want to specifically list the just off the top of my head the different. Uh, future-focused, positive-focused, brief-focused, um, non-pathology-focused therapies that are out there. We got solution-focused therapy, brief therapy. We got Ericksonian, I might call it Ericksonian therapy, which I'm sure you're familiar with. Yeah. Um, st- strategic family therapy, solution-oriented therapy, structural family therapy, cognitive therapy, behavioral therapy for that matter, 
positive psychology, motivational interviewing, gestalt to some extent, mm -hmm. existential therapy, a lot of the humanistic therapies for that matter, narrative therapy, and, and all the other so-called postmodern therapies. So these are all you know, popular therapies that are being used by therapists and counselors and psychologists and psychiatrists and nurse practitioners and social workers. And they are all exactly the way that coaches are branding themselves, you know? Yeah, again, the coaching industry came from, you know, the humanism, um, you know, a la Carl Rogers and and so and forth. Satir so, and Satir and those people, right? Yeah, yeah, no, no question about it. Yeah. Um, let's see. Yeah, there's, I'm just going to skip through here. Um, counseling provides an answer to the frustration that is often felt regarding the limitations of traditional therapy. I don't know. That doesn't, I don't even know what that means exactly. Um, coaching does not give advice, whereas counseling gives advice. Um, that's ridiculous because I think yep. coaching, some coaching involves explicit advice. Um, and uh, some counseling does as well. But the one thing I will say about counseling is that in every training program, there's a module and a, a, at least one chapter in a book that talks about how not to give advice to your clients. Um, see, another one is um, coaching asks the question, how can we change? Whereas, whereas counseling asks the question, why should we change? I have no why idea. Why should means. we change? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't even understand that one. Um, uh, coaches hold you accountable for your goals, whereas counselors do not. Uh, again, silly. Um, coaches, uh, the client has the answers, whereas in counselors, counselors have the answers. Again, that's um, that positive psychology bit. Coaches work collaborative, collaboratively with clients, whereas counselors are required to assign a diagnosis for insurance. Um, again, ridiculous. There's a whole field of therapy called collaborative therapy. Um, uh, other things, okay, uh, Larry Pfaff, a counselor and associate professor at Spring Harbor University, and he served on the Michigan Board of Counseling, so he has some experience on coaching and counseling, and, and he did a study on coaching, and he concluded that many coaches are not adequate, adequately trained, and would, however he defined that, and might essentially be practicing counseling without a license. Um, he said that some coaches are well-trained and doing good work, but many are not well-trained and are possibly harming clients, which um, you're agreeing with. He also, found that, he also found that many coaches make wild claims about the effectiveness of their, of their service. So there's, there's been some research into it. Um, and again, once you get the state certification or licensure. Well, yeah, that and that's why it's important. Reduced. Even our conversation today adds a grain of sand, you know, on the beachhead or whatever. That's why it's important to bring all this stuff to light because it's all um, justification for putting some structure in place, right? Uh, right. Yeah. Right. Um, let's see. So ethics here so the ACA chief professional officer David Kaplan is quoted in an article saying that uh, licensing boards do not necessarily differentiate between so if if you're a if you're a 
counselor or a psychologist or therapist or social worker or a psychiatrist or nurse practitioner and you want to also provide a coaching service and you market yourself as a coach the the and because this is what this is where it hits home for me because I've had supervisees come to me and say I want to start marketing myself also as a coach right and at the time I I had to really sort of quickly figure out the ethics of that and this um, David Kaplan is basically saying exactly what I came to the conclusion which was that at you are a licensed trained professional and if you call yourself a coach that doesn't relinquish your responsibility exactly. you know um, you 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 still have to follow the the highest code of ethics and you still have to follow the standard of care and if you ha- so you know if you're a counselor or a therapist and you take on a coaching client and your coach decide, your your coaching client um, says something that you know requires mandated reporting then you still have to do all that my understanding as well it's like oh wait i'm coaching today so i don't have to report this abuse no of course not right Um, right yeah i can do whatever i want now some licensing boards might rule differently but because it is kind of the wild west at this point but this this expert is saying why would you want to take that risk um, and, and, and there's evidence that, that licensing boards will not take it that way. Because to me, it's like, if you're, again, if you're a counselor and you're licensed and all that kind of stuff, and you want to market yourself as a coach, but at, in, at essence, you're still a counselor, then fine. That's, to me, that's, that's weird. <laughs> I mean, cause to me, I, I still think why not just market yourself as a collaborative therapist exactly. or a positive future-oriented counselor or a non-pathologizing listener. Like, there's so many other terms that you could market yourself that you don't have to, I don't know, you don't have to confuse the the market, you know? Um, okay, so the bottom line here is that I like that coaches exist because people should have as many choices as possible, like Uber, right? Right. Um, but the public needs to know what coaching is and what it is not. And coaches also need to understand what coaching is and what it is not. And they need to advertise as such. And the only way to really get a handle on that is if we regulate it. Number two, the difference is not well understood by the public or really in the profession. People, people need to know that a coach could be a highly trained person with a lot of experience or they could be someone who just dropped out of high school and, and just decided to call themselves a coach. So that, that needs to be. And I would know. add a caveat there that um, they could be a highly trained person who's also incompetent. And there could be a right. Ph.D. Uh, you know, therapist who's got all the credentials who's also incompetent. So the bottom Absolutely. line is. Do your research um, and, um, you know, go on the evidence um, and keep your eyes open uh, throughout the process that you go through. Um, Yeah, and advocate for yourself, you know, and yeah. Um, And that goes for any uh, profession, even the medical profession. Um, number three, many coaches and training programs are making dubious claims about the differences between coaches and counselors that need to be looked at critically. Uh, number four, counselors who wish to provide coaching services need to be trained and supervised by a counselor slash coach. So if you are a counselor and you want to 
also call yourself a coach. You need to find a counselor slash coach to supervise you and train you. Um, and you still need to follow the highest level of ethical codes and legal responsibilities. Number five, it seems to me that the stigma is a major motivation for people to create something different than counseling and therapy. So we obviously still need to do work on reducing that stigma. That doesn't mean that that will eliminate the coaching profession because I, I don't think it will for, you know, because I, I like what you and other legitimate coaches are trying to, you know, provide because it is quite different from counseling and it is it is a needed service and it and um, could as, as potentially be cheaper than 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 counseling. Number six, my profession is not doing enough to research this area and educate the public. If if the public knew about therapists who practice like coaches, there would there wouldn't be these there there wouldn't be people online wouldn't be able to make these weird claims that coaches are this and therapists are that. Number seven, this the public should be aware that coaches do not have to follow any ethical codes um, at this point. They should just know that on yep. some level. Uh, number eight, as a society, we have to figure out the line between a coach who is providing a service that they are qualified to provide and a coach who is not, because that is a very difficult line to define. Um, as we were talking about it today, it's even more fuzzy for yeah, me. You yeah. know? Like, like when we were talking about you're you're helping someone with ADHD. You're helping them organize. Well, you know, what is that line, and how do you determine yeah. that line? I think There's a lot. Um, we we sort of moved on from that example, but there's a there's more to talk about in just in that one example. Um, and and we know it happens. I mean, we we know people who have. Um, uh, clinical issues, whether they know it or not, they go to coaching. It's there. It's in the room. Now, now right. what? Um, there's a whole other discussion. <laughs> what do you mean? Well, what's the topic well, sentence there? Um, it is, um, well, there's a, a flurry of questions come. Um, should they be in the room with a coach? Um, I guess that you could, you know, take that extreme point of view. Um, if they're in the room with the coach and we know there's a diagnosis, um, the coach should probably have to follow a protocol. Uh, and I mean, I tell people if you get someone with a diagnosis, don't, and it's on the table, you, um, you need to then become a part of their team where their, uh, their doctor and their counselor or, or psychiatrist, whomever, knows of your existence and um, can communicate with you if need if need be. I mean, there, there needs to be some sort of a, a protocol uh, for that. And then there's a really interesting question about it with um, you have a life coach with the ADHD person's having a hard time getting organized. The life coach isn't going to is going to experience the ADHD in the client, but not going to, quote unquote, see it. Right. I mean, they're going to be in the room with it, but they they're not going to recognize it as such and, and know what to do with it. So, you know, what happens then very likely is the client goes, man, I'm really struggling with this. 
And the coach says, hmm, what seems to be getting in the way? And now, technically, the coach is treating ADHD. Um, Or is the coach treating ADHD if the coach doesn't know that it's ADHD? And maybe the client doesn't know it's ADHD, right? It's just in the room. And and what's the harm harm? if they don't? What's the harm if they don't know? Because if again, if you're just, even if a room of observers says, "Well, it looks like that person's treating ADHD," the second question is, "Is the client being harmed by that?" Um, you know, is is a major question because with with something like ADHD, it's there's there's not a huge risk of harm in that situation. Um, I guess a much more a relevant question is what about someone who suffers from childhood trauma or childhood difficulties who who is trying to work on their self-esteem or they're trying to work on would would coaches work on self-esteem coaches would work on self-esteem and um you know i would i would make a case to say that there um there absolutely is a way to work on self-esteem um in uh, you know, well within the parameters of coaching. Um, however, dealing with childhood trauma is not within those parameters, right? Um, however, um, you know, sending, giving yourself, you know, positive messages, setting goals, um, uh, uh, being held accountable, doing the things you need to do every day in order to feel good about yourself, and pausing to feel good about yourself and acknowledge um, what you've done. Um, You know, there's a whole range, even, you know, some of the guided imagery uh, that coaches learn in terms of of constructing a positive self-image and so on and so forth. There's a lot of, um, you know, interesting things that that you can do that, you know, that can foster self-esteem. That that is exactly cognitive behavioral therapy. What well, see, that's the other thing. Now we're into cognitive um, behavioral therapy, and are we going to now say that um, a uh, a coach who read a book on visualization, where there's never a mention of cognitive behavioral therapy whatsoever? Um, Or picked it up in a training where there's never a mention of cognitive behavioral therapy. Um, They're they're doing a guided imagery technique that looks one heck of a lot like cognitive behavioral therapy and, um, you know, in in some way is going to have roots in cognitive cognitive behavioral therapy, but nobody in the room knows it at all. Now what do we do? I mean... Yeah, that's a very weird conversation yeah. because on on one level, helping someone with their self-talk or guided imagery or mindfulness even is is at least culturally something that many people do outside of the counseling profession. Sure. You know, your your mom can walk you through a visualization. Your you know? can. Your, you can watch a YouTube video or. You know, or I, I, I had a teacher in middle school that would that would walk us through mindfulness. Uh, they didn't call it mindfulness yeah. back then. But um, so so there's that. Um, and so on one level, it's like 
when I hear, so when it hits my ears, as you talk about that, I'm like, yeah, fine. Coaches do that. That's fine. As long as they're not, as long as they can detect issues that should be referred to a therapist and they do so. And as long as they don't step into areas unknowingly and harm a client, I think that's all pretty, that's basically skill-based therapy that I think skill-based therapy and they would call it skill-based coaching. Um, And it could be the same thing. Um, Where I go with it is, you know, absolutely 100% do not do any of the above to treat a clinical diagnosis because that's, Yes. But oh. but it's interesting because if you know if it's self-esteem, great. But if it's global depression that includes self-esteem, you know, or PTSD that includes self-esteem. Right. Well, um, that, that, so so okay, when it hits, this is interesting. Sorry to interrupt. It is global depression that it includes self-esteem, and the but however the client just calls it low self-esteem. And leaves out the depression part because he either doesn't want to mention it or doesn't know it as such, and the coach doesn't either. And now right. depression's in the room, and we're calling it self-esteem, low self-esteem, and now we're working on it. Right. Right. And it's, in my eyes, treating depression, which when I hear that, I think, fine. I don't. It doesn't bother me that much. Um, but... I guarantee you, if you talk to a lot of other people in my profession, it would bother them, <laughs> particularly cognitive behavioral therapists. See, I'm not a cognitive behavioral therapist. Yeah. I, I utilize cognitive therapy and behavioral therapy techniques, absolutely. But I don't consider myself a skill-based therapist. I, I, I talk about skills with my clients, but that's not my bread yeah. and butter. Um, and so when I hear about a coach doing CBT, it doesn't threaten me. It's like now we're back to the, you know, this kind of behavioral therapist or, you know, hate the other therapist. And there's NLP uh, originators who claim cognitive behavioral therapy was ripped off from NLP. And but there's a legitimate <laughs> argument. There's a legitimate argument based on what we're talking about in terms of depression yes, and, and essentially using CBT uh, techniques, but not thinking of them as CBT. There's a legitimate argument that is a that, like I said, a weird conversation that I don't I don't know the answer yeah, to that. Because so you know, like, yeah. if 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 from the outside someone watched it and, and they said that is treatment of depression, you know that that individual is treating depression, and you can't tell the difference between coaching the treatment of con- uh, the coaching self-esteem and the treatment of depression if you can't tell the difference between those two uh what does that mean does that mean coaches need to stay take a step back or does that mean that uh counseling just needs to consider that other people can do this job <laughs> you know what i mean and and still not harm people yeah you know? they're, they're, um, they're, they're, so they're very, i don't know I the don't answer to either that. they're very um provocative questions i clearly don't know the answer and you know attack on all fronts um yeah counselors calm down a little bit you know (laughs) there's going to be some crossover coaches my god get some education about what you are how to recognize what you're not supposed to do right um and it just uh, both sides need to uh accommodate the issue because it's going on every day I mean, you know, the crossover uh, between the fields is happening every every day, and 
Well, what, what I would like to have happen is one of the professions, probably the ACA, take on coaching as a subset of, of counseling. Um, yeah. Not to eliminate it, but to bring it under the wing of a legitimate organization that has robust authors and researchers and teachers and thinkers and networking and, you know, and, and yeah. events and trainings and stuff and, and, you know, do it right yeah. rather than, um, make a bunch of outsiders sort of invent something, uh, and then proceed to try to delegitimize it from, from the outside, which is, I think is kind of what's happening in some circles. Yeah. It, it's the same thing. Um, when counseling emerged, counseling, emer the, 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 the parallels between counseling and coaching are actually really um, uh, astounding when I think about it because counseling emerged, uh, as we remember back in the day, you could be a counselor without any uh, certification. You could, just, um, you could just say, I'm a counselor, right? I'm a psychotherapist. And, and eventually, and, and I think in the early days, counselors were like, hey, psychology, how about you let us in? Yeah. You know, how about you incorporate a master's level counselor into the field of psychology? And psychology, psychologists were like, no, 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 you, you're ridiculous. You don't know what you're doing. There's no way a master's level person couldn't be a good practitioner. Right. You're, it's irresponsible and you're threatening our profession, blah, blah, blah. And, and then so counselors just said, well, we're going to create our own profession. Yeah. And we're going to have our own licensing thing. We're going to have our own programs and we're going to call ourselves counselors. And we're not psychologists, we're counselors. And then marriage and family therapy emerged, social work emerged. And so now we have this super fragmented, weird profession yeah. uh, that's actually a set of professions because yeah. um, psychology does not call themselves right. counselors and they, you know, therapy. You know. And, and now we have yet another uh, uh, new kid on the block. Well, yeah. And, yeah. And, and we're we're proceeding to treat the new kid in the same way that we were right. treated when we were when our profession was exactly. emerging, which which I think is um is not as as I'm talking to you is not serving the public ultimately and and not even necessarily serving our profession because how nice would it be if counselors the you know American Counseling Association had yet another wing of enthusiasm and innovation and legitimacy you know like that is a that's an exciting thing to and think there's about hints of that going on like the national board of certified counselors creating the board certified coach uh, designation more and more universities are offering uh life coaching various kinds of coaching certification and some people in the coaching field are you know saying basically in 50 years um life coaching is you're gonna have to go to college to get it uh, right and so that's the other thing that i that i i don't know how strong of a prediction i'm making with this but but um so when when the when masters of counseling uh, first emerged you could you could get your education done in a year. Uh, by the time I got my master's in counseling, you could get it in a year and a half. Um, but marriage and family therapy was more rigorous because it was trying to legitimize itself uh, in, in relation to stigma. And so mine was two years. But, 
but now it's it's like three years to get a master's in counseling and so uh in 50 years uh if things go according to a reflection of the counseling profession coaching will be a two-year master's master's degree degree. yeah it will be and as it stands now in university i i really i think it's it's in several universities. I wish I could name one, but you know, legitimate universities um, as professional certification uh, programs. But you know, it yeah, there's you know, it's it's pushing a little bit in that direction. That gives sort of private life coaching institutes, uh, you know, stomach cramps or whatever. It's like, hmm. Well, well you would just expand your your uh, offerings and. Yeah. Yeah. And also become a, a, a legitimate online college institution. Well, <laughs> I don't know You know, we have uh, on staff uh, Dr. Janice Walton. She's a PhD clinical psychologist, and she's on staff at three universities. And we're saying, uh, Dr. Janice, um, you know, we. She's made her our continuing education coordinator and so forth. And it's like, Dr. Janice, you know, lead the way, right? Or I guess you would be subsumed by uh, a accredited university or something, you know, Um, which might not be so great for you. Who knows? (laughs) I'd probably be dead by then, but uh, (laughs) who knows? But it is all just uh, super interesting. I mean, sort of it. It sort of he's kind of exploded this into a sort of discussion about how industries uh, form, right? And right. Uh, and that because in fifty years there'll be something there new, be you something know, there'll be new, like right, there'll be or right. twenty years there'll be, and then coaches will be upset about this new kid, the next exactly. kid. Exactly, and you know what? When the scammers can't call themselves coaches anymore, they'll make up another word. And keep standing. Well, what do you think I that'll be? I don't know. I don't think it'll be consultants, but um, you know, uh, life consultants. Life consultants. It could be that. Um, that is a ring to um, it. They could go into the mentor thing. Uh, you know, oh, there's a bunch yeah. of it. You know, you come because right now coaches sometimes call themselves also mentors they'll say i'm a coach and a coach and a mentor and the coaches that say i'm a coach and a mentor in their mind there's a pretty those there's a pretty strict difference between coaching and mentoring and the ones who take it really seriously go okay i'm gonna today we're gonna have a coaching session and next week we're gonna follow up with a mentoring session and so forth and they make a distinction between coaching and mentoring and consulting too i mean they they're putting a lot of effort and thought into it um that i imagine mentoring is more like um encouragement well, and I stuff give you advice yeah. from a more experienced perspective because i have experience right. that you don't have and therefore i can give you advice as opposed to drawing out uh, as opposed to facilitating the answers uh within you and not giving you advice uh-huh. as a mentor I put on my mentor hat and I just okay. Here's how it is. Let me give you. Some. I see. <laughs> um, so, so just a few more bottom lines here, or two more. Um, following my list here, number nine. I figured out that because mo- I didn't realize this beforehand, but I figured out that most counselors are trained to do everything that coaches can do, almost everything. I mean, there's some coaches who are very specialized, like 
I help people with organization. You know what I mean? Like how to organize their houses. I coach people on how to how to get rid of the clutter. Therapists aren't trained to do that. <laughs> but but as far as I can tell, what most counts what most what, what most coaches are are generally advertising themselves as future oriented, yeah. strengths oriented. Uh, counselors are are trained in that too. Yes. Um, so so I thought that yeah. was interesting. And then the last one here, number ten. Uh, is my advice to the general public, if if you're still listening to this, um, if you if you have a very minor issue or a very specific goal that isn't related to mental health, like organizing your house, then you have a choice between a coach and a counselor or a therapist. You know, issues like you're not happy with your job, or you want to improve your social skills, or you want to become more organized, or you want to self-actualize and make plans for your life. You know, you, you, your kids just launched out of the house and you want to figure out your next phase, you know. And so you can go to a coach or a counselor. Now, some counselors aren't oriented to those kinds of things. And so you'd have to do some, some research there. But I'm guessing most coaches are oriented towards those, those goals. But, but if you don't have a minor issue, then you should hire a counselor. And you should know that many so-called minor issues often blossom into non-minor issues. I, I recently had a client that was like this. They came to me with, on paper, a very minor issue that would be very much in line with what a coach would provide. And by, by session, midway through session two, it was very clear to both of us that this that was just the tip of the iceberg. And what they really wanted to talk about was something really quite deep and, and very much in line with what counseling provides. And so so if you're thinking, you know, I want to go to a, someone to, to I, I feel an urge that I want to talk to someone about this or that, I think following Mike's advice, go to a counselor first, run it by them and, and see how that goes. And then if things... Um, are determined that it's uh, appropriate to choose between a counselor or a life coach, then maybe go to a life coach at that point, or just be careful about uh, the sorts of things that you go to uh, therapy for. Or if you go to the coach and, and these deeper things emerge, then obviously go to a, a therapist at that point. Um, so what's the last word here, Mike? Last word. Um, I can tell you the, the words that are going through my head as we're sort of thinking about, you know, advice for the public, which is take a lot of responsibility for yourself, right? A lot of responsibility for yourself. And uh, you decide to go to a coach and you have some impression, any impression that the coach, regardless of training, is not so well equipped to handle what you're talking about. Don't talk about it with the coach go find a counselor right i mean don't yeah. don't count on a coach to refer you to a counselor either they may not know and right. uh, don't count on a counselor uh, referring you to a coach because they may not have a high opinion of coaching right or they might not even know coaches they might exist. Not know coaches exist and you know what um they they, they might not have ever had the um, experience of a really high quality coach. Uh, so anyways, yeah, 
So, Mike, where where can people find you? Uh, the INLP, INLP Center dot org. That's our uh, that's our website. INLP Center dot org. Here's the final takeaway. Um, there are more questions than answers at this point. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's my final word. <laughs> Well, that does it for that episode of Psychology in Seattle. Thanks for joining me, Mike. I, Whatever you're on the podcast, I learned so much. We're going to have to have you back on a couple more times to talk about NLP and, and maybe another time to talk about hypnosis. Oh, yeah. You're, you're a treasure trove of information, and, and I'd love to pick your brain on those That's things. That's great. Thanks for joining me out there. Please take care of yourself because you deserve it.